This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, February 8th of 2018, it's episode 126. In this episode, Resurrection Magic, a topic selected by our Patreon supporters, plus Memorializing Players Who've Passed Away, the 200-word RPG Challenge, Toad Patrol, a selection of podcasts, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Jenny. How's everybody? Uh, Decently well. <laughs> uh, Uh-oh. Uh, what has broken Jenny? <laughs> you told us you had weather trouble. Okay, yeah. So due to family reasons, my mom is going to visit her parents, basically so that my grandpa doesn't overwork his newly restored knee. And so she's basically gone to visit her parents to basically tell grandpa over and over, no, you can't go and take care of the horses. That's what I'm here for. So um, (laughs) sit down, (laughs) old man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, basically just no, no. To take her to Ottawa is about a two-hour drive, so that's the the nearest airport in Ottawa. What should have been a four-hour round trip for me took seven hours because of traffic due to slippery snow and ice. And I never want to drive my car in Ottawa during the winter ever again because it's a standard and we got stuck on a hill, uh, an icy hill at that. In like bumper to bumper traffic for over like an, an an hour, about an hour. And at the end, my leg was spasming so much because I had to keep my foot on the clutch the whole time. Is standard the Canadian term for a manual transmission car? It is the local term. It, it because it used to be called standard just everywhere because it was it was the standard, and then all right, all right. of a sudden automatic came along. Um, most people say manual. But I think in Canada, you're generally more likely to at least understand what I'm talking about when I say standard. It's what my parents call it anyway. Okay. So that's how I... Yeah. Well, we just learned something today. Yeah. And, and my first car that I ever learned how to drive in was a standard because reasons. So I, I learned how to drive about three years younger than most of my friends. So I just got used to it. Uh, weird linguistic quirks aside, so a four-hour trip turned into a seven-hour trip, partly because of, of the bumper-to-bumper traffic, and also partly because on the way back, there were two snow plows side-by-side along the road, and I could not Snow pass. plowing along like snow plows do, huh? Yeah, they were going maybe 50 kilometers an hour. I don't know what that is in miles, but maybe 50 kilometers an hour. So that was my yesterday. And now I have a cat sitting beside me today while recording because she is antsy when mum is not here and cannot be trusted around potted plants anymore. So um, we've got a pod cat here today. Hello, pod cat. We may have a second one, actually. Oh, yeah? Sterling there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's always around. And yeah. since Grant left his appearance in the last episode, I feel like I have to warn about him all the time now. <laughs> Yeah, we can just say hello, podcat, as podcat appears. Yeah, and then tomorrow I'm recording a thing with Gameable with the Gameable folks, which is very exciting. Oh, are you? Very I am. Cool. And then after that, I've got a game. I've got the uh, New World of Darkness game, which is usually on Sundays. So nice. it's just going to be nonstop socialization. And so it's Saturday, I want nothing to do with anybody at all. I want to be left completely alone. <laughs> That's fair. And not talked to at all. Uh, by the way, I ran the conversion while we were talking. Uh, 50 kilometers per hour is roughly 31 miles per hour. It is 
putt putt slow. Mm-hmm. That is the that is the speed limit on a lot of like neighborhoods around here. So yeah, the kind with small children. Yeah. <laughs> See, now that's the, actually the standard speed limit for towns in Canada. If the roads are not marked, you are legally required to go 50. But in my town, because it is smaller and the roads are twistier because of history reasons, um, the limit is 40. And I actually had a driving instructor tell me to go 50 down one of the curviest, steepest roads in town. And I almost got out of the car and walked home. <laughs> Going off the number that Peter converted for us, that's actually pretty standard for down here, too. I mean, that's just normal. And 40 is close to 25 miles per hour. So, yeah. Yeah. I would like to mention, for the record, that the weather forecast next week is 70 degrees (laughs) down here. (laughs) And we're supposed to get a foot of snow overnight. (laughs) Both sound disgusting to me. (laughs) North America is large. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Oh, man. Good times. Okay. So, um. We're doing something a little unusual for us in this episode. Namely, we are getting to our quarterly Patreon topic before the last possible moment. Hey! Hooray! Yeah. Yay! <laughs> there was a, uh, a poll that we put out to Patreon backers at a specific level. And the topic that won is resurrection magic and, and resurrection in general, which is something we're going to be talking about today. And that's convenient because I'm going to need some because I'm about to die. Oh, no. (laughs) What's going on with you? I tried a Pilates class right before recording. Oh, dear. (laughs) And listen, I know Pilates is hard. Like, intellectually, I know Pilates is hard. My mom's a dance teacher. She's done Pilates for decades. I've seen it done. Chrissy, my wife, she's done Pilates. She's come back just super tired and sore from it. I understand that. But there's a little part of me deep down somewhere that I think somehow believe that Pilates was like white people yoga. (laughs) It is not. No. (laughs) It is very, very difficult. And especially for somebody like me who has a build perhaps best compared to Mr. Potato Head. So the thing is, of course, it's working all the things that I am not good at. So Naturally, it was extremely hard for me because (laughs) guess what I'm not good at? Anything involving any of the major muscle groups and and exercises that Pilates does, which is why I'm going back, of course, because, hey, I'm bad at that and need to work on it. But that doesn't mean that my legs are not burning right now. So if you hear me grunt and complain more than usual in an episode, that's what's going on. Mm. Yeah. And if you hear me grunt and complain more than usual in an episode, I've been dealing with a pinched nerve for the last week and three quarters. Uh, It's definitely getting better, but it's still there a little. Yeah, I had a pinched nerve in my leg a few years back and not fun. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot of gaming stuff to talk about the way our schedule worked out and gaming schedule worked out other than a briefly funny anecdote about our fellowship game last night, which was missing a player, the GM's husband, who was running another game because they had screwed up their scheduling so badly that the one had scheduled a makeup session in the middle of the other one's game. Oh, no. So oh, no. <laughs> that was just kind of funny. We, we just had like three people out of our seven missing. It was just kind of chaotic and weird, so not a whole lot to talk about. And our D&D game was good, but I don't feel like it would make great conversation at this point. It's kind of setting up for some other stuff. Exactly. I feel like the Beyond the Wall game that I'm in, well, the the Moida has gotten less mysterious, but um, uh, that's that's (laughs) about it. Hashtag we're turning that into a (laughs) t-shirt. Oh, I I so am looking forward to that Moida mystery. Um, (laughs) But yeah, the merge has gotten less mysterious, but we don't know how to pin it on the guy yet. 
So we're figuring that out. That is actually something I should mention. I am working on adding some new things to our store. I don't talk about our store much, but I would like to remind everyone we do have a store. There mm-hmm. is a link to it on our website, stgcast.org. I can confirm that the shirts are comfy. Yeah. If, if you want to know which shirt is the comfiest... You can ask me because I know. And some listener of ours can confirm that the cufflinks are real. Yeah. Somebody did ask, get Saving the Game cufflinks from the store. The cool thing about it is, I'll be honest, it doesn't take me a whole lot of effort to like slap our logo on something. So if there's something you want from Zazzle, just let me know and I'll make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm trying to refresh that and add some new stuff to it. One of the things I, I just added, it's expensive because this is all print on demand, but it's a six by nine zippered cloth bag. Think of a very large pencil case kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It could be a very good dice bag. Yeah. Dice bag or maybe like dice plus cards plus pencils plus index cards. Little kind of gaming like, supplies. General little gaming supplies. Something like that would be perfect. And it's got our, our logo covering one whole side of the bag and then our little tagline and URL on the back. So it, it looks good. Mm-hmm. It is expensive. But if you really want it, go for it. We don't make a lot off of these, so don't think that you are supporting us by getting it in terms of money. Yeah, I think we make, what, a dollar off of everything we sell in the Zazzle store? Five percent. They changed it to a percentage, and five is the minimum I can set it to. Okay. I I tried to set it to zero, and they're like, nope, five percent or more. The thing is, if you're getting stuff like that, you're you're supporting us by getting the word out about saving the game, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. Now, if you do want to support the show financially, patreon.com slash saving the game, our patrons picked the episode topic tonight and we'll be answering a Patreon question from them shortly. So if you want to support us, that's where you can do it. One quick gaming thing I did want to talk about, and I will link this in the show notes as well, the 200 word RPG challenge. This is a little indie RPG competition. And if you've ever had a thought for a game, but you've never really been sure how to write up a big game for it, this is a great competition to enter. I've had in my head an idea for a game for a few months now, and I heard about this on System Mastery a few months ago, and this idea has been rattling around in my head, and on the drive home day before yesterday, everything finally clicked. And so I I spent the night just writing it up, knocked it out, got it to about 270 words, (laughs) did a lot of rewrites and a lot of cuts, got it down to about 215 words, and then my wife got it down to 200 words and a lot clearer explanations of what's going on. So Mm. thank you, dear. By the way, Chrissy has started listening to these episodes, so I can no longer pull things like, so Chrissy doesn't listen to this, so I'm going to tell you a story. (laughs) No more. No more. She'll never know about the cursed sword. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She called me out on that. It's like, you know, I listen to this now, right? Ah, shoot. I forgot. (laughs) Um, But anyway, I've got it written up. I'm going to submit it. The competition does not open until May. So you got plenty of time. But I would recommend working on your idea before May (laughs) just because trying to knock it, you know, 200 words Mm -hmm. sounds easy. It is not. No, tiny word counts like that are nearly impossible. Yeah. Says the guy it, who can easily write 2,000 words. We but. do this like college students or we die trying. Only <laughs> yeah. the night before. Exactly. <laughs> and this is why I failed out of college. <laughs> One of several reasons. Because you like to actually prepare? <laughs> that seems a no. little incongruous. <laughs> okay, I was trying to be flip. Do you want me to get into a long and depressing explanation of why I failed out of college? No, I want no. you to All right, double good down talk. on the flippancy. <laughs> good talk. <laughs> All right, I'll cut that then. Uh, but I'm probably not going to cut it. Who am I kidding? Um, <laughs> yeah, you didn't cut my cat climbing on me last episode. Why would you cut that? That would have been hard to cut. <laughs> the 200-word RPG challenge 
if you want to give game design a shot and have something that's kind of published, this is exactly the kind of writing and game design competition that worked for me where it's like, oh, this is super simple and it, there's no prize. It's just, hey, we judged them. They look cool. It's perfect for me. So I've got mine written. I'm not going to share it around publicly until it's done. And that's just because I kind of want to limit the amount of feedback I get on it to specific people who work in the relevant fields <laughs> or very, very <laughs> close friends. One of the things I am worried about is if I get a lot of public feedback, I'm going to start second guessing myself. Oh, yeah. And, you want to avoid that at all costs. Yeah. yeah. And frankly, it's 200 words. It's not worth me stressing about. Anyway, it's cool. I will link it in the show notes. Uh, if you want to give it a try, I would recommend doing so. It was surprisingly fun to get it all out and be like, wait, there it is. That's it. Let's do that Patreon question I mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. This is from Patreon backer Paige, who asks a question that I, I remember her asking about. And this is one of the problems that we run into when we roll randomly on a table. <laughs> uh, this question was very timely when she asked it. And we actually replied when she first asked it. You'll understand why in a moment. But it's been a while since she actually asked this question. So that's kind of one of the downsides of, of rolling randomly here. Mm -hmm. What can a DM do to memorialize a player, not a character, who dies? A friend from my campaign died unexpectedly. And next time we meet, I'm going to discuss what they want to do to honor him. But I'd like to have options to suggest. It's a heavy question. Yeah. Very appropriate for the episode, too. Mm -hmm. uh, boy. I've seen on various forums and Facebook groups and stuff similar questions to this, and the question always comes up, do we abandon the game or not? And I think that really it depends on where you are in the game, it depends on the game, depends on the group. I know that, yeah, it, it really just depends on the game and the group. This is a really serious question. Yeah, you, you don't have one. to, but you don't not have to either. Yeah, like it's it's not disrespectful to continue or discontinue the game either way. It's just what you feel your group can handle. Um, mm. I also know some people who sort of give the player's character a good funeral and a good like story reason for why they aren't there anymore. Yeah, that's an option I was going to suggest as well. Yeah. The other one is keep that character around as somebody who they can always kind of have to talk to. That's another possibility. Though that might be really, really hard on the DM, depending, like, it, it, again, this all depends on, on the group and the yeah, player. Yeah, it could be. But even if they're just kind of there in the background continuing, mm -hmm. like, maybe you don't even have to interact with them. But if they, if they continue to exist in your game and the GM occasionally reminds people... Yeah, you know, this character's there working in the keep or you see them, you know, working in their field and they wave as you pass by or, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Out of game, I like the idea of just leaving a chair for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly framing the character sheet, maybe. Yeah. That's actually a good idea too. hang it up wherever you guys game. Yeah. Make it clear that it's not like a, you know, a possession of the GM or a possession of the host. It's yep. just kind of framed. A, a possession of the group. As a whole. Yeah, it's a group thing. In the same way that like a, a campaign map or something like that is sort one of those artifacts that's generated mm -hmm. in a campaign and has fond memories. A character sheet from a, a friend who's who's missing, something like that, I think could be a similar artifact, but more meaningful. Mm -hmm. I think if you've got somebody who's got some artistic or crafting skill in your group and they are up to it. Mm -hmm. Give them the person's character sheet and maybe some of their dice and have them do some kind of like a framed artifact that goes beyond just the character sheet itself yeah. that you can hang up or put someplace. I do like the idea of leaving a chair. 
Heck, yeah. even, you know, maybe stick a blank character sheet in front of it for a little while or something, you yeah. know? I, I've heard of some groups who have basically done, done the classic pour out a drink for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I would suggest is if you decide that you want to remove the character from the game in a, you know, a way that reflects the mortality of your player, give them a really good death. Um, mm-hmm. You know, let them do something very appropriate to the character and very meaningful. And then give them a nice memorial in mm-hmm. the world someplace, a headstone or a crypt or something like that. And visit it again after major story milestones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are all good options. It's not significantly different from losing anyone else, mm-hmm. uh, except that this is somebody you've sort of known in two different ways. You've known yeah. the person and then you've kind of known a character or several characters that they've created that show different sides of themselves that, you know, that have explored different sides of themselves. And, um, you know, one thing you could do, everybody kind of pool memories of their different characters yeah. and see if you can hire someone to do a sketch of those characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then just everybody gets a print or something. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. I kind of like that idea because then you can kind of put those with like a picture of the person. Yeah. It kind of reminds you of not just this campaign, but other times you've known them. And if it's just one, you know, make it a large portrait. Yeah. Something along those lines. And if you tell somebody, hey, it's for this, you know, it's to memorialize this friend, they'll probably appreciate that. Yeah. And they'll also probably that can help with the way that the art looks and stuff, too. If you're trying to get a certain emotional feel or something, it will help them create a better piece of art for you. Definitely. That's about all I can come up with right now. We've replied to Paige when she first asked that question. I also know that Fear the Boot recently did a more somber bonus episode on this very subject. So if you think that might help, then then uh, you can go listen to that one. Unfortunately, they've had to deal with this recently. Yeah. Yep. I'll make sure to link that episode in the show notes as well. Mm-hmm. Well, Paige, it's a good question. And from all of us here at Saving the Game, our condolences mm-hmm. for your loss. Absolutely. Our best wishes to you and your group. Yeah. On that note, I suppose, let's move on to scripture, shall we? Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your Jew is like the Jew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. And our second passage is John chapter 11, verses 38 to 44. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. And this last verse is 1 Corinthians 15:35 through 44. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. 
People have one kind of flesh, animals another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, and the moon has another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. So we're talking tonight about a topic that touches on perhaps the core belief that we as Christians hold, the promise and the reality of the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection that we are promised at the end. We're talking in terms of resurrection magic. Now, when we say magic here, we're going to be talking probably a lot about quote unquote magic, because for a lot of our games, fantasy is kind of the, the default. But really, yeah. we're talking about any fictional tool to revive a character from death. Yeah, I personally will be talking a lot about the series Altered Carbon, which is definitely sci fi. But just for the, for simplicity's sake, we're going to be referring to it all as magic. Jenny, please don't spoil it too much. I'm planning to watch it at some point. No, I'm going with like very basic stuff that's introduced in like the first five minutes of the show and is the very basis of the show. Uh, All right. So, yeah, no, 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 (laughs) I promise no spoilers. All right. The first thing I do want to touch on is the purpose of resurrection magic, whatever form that may take in most games. Why does it exist in stories? First, I know because it's interesting and dramatic, but in, in a gameplay sense, what's the point? Uh, in a lot of older school games, it's a way of getting back a player character that has succumbed to the rules, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I think, honestly, that's its primary purpose in most games. Mm-hmm. And secondary and possibly tertiary as well, to be honest. Yeah. Well, the secondary purpose, I think, is it's sort of the natural progression of healing magic, right? We get stronger mm-hmm. and stronger and stronger magic until, and we can even do this because I'm yeah. super powerful. Yeah. But also, I think in many games... Well, scratch that. Uh, you know, in, in many stories, whatever is resurrecting people is often a plot element in and of itself. It's not pulled into a setting just for fun. It's it's often relevant to the story that's being told or the ultimate thing that's being analyzed because genre fiction is very good at analyzing out there concepts. Mm-hmm. But there's also sort of a consistent pattern to what we see in games. Namely, this is a revivification, a character being brought back as they were 90, 99% of the time. It's an extra life. Yeah. Okay, yep. get back up. You lost. We paid a price to get you back. Cool. Here you yep. go. Or you paid a price to get you back, depending on what the system involves. This is not the same as the resurrection that God promises, which is a, as as we read in First in Corinthians, the replacement of an earthly body, a natural body with a spiritual body the replacement of the perishable with the imperishable. It's more of let's restore things Mm -hmm. to how they were. A common feature of this, too, is there's limited availability. Yeah. Yeah. It can cost a lot or not many people know how to do it or have the skill to do it because typically, at least in D&D, resurrection's like a high level thing, whereas in Altered Carbon, it's a, a, a piece of everyday life and how good it is depends on how much money you're willing to throw at it. Yeah. I do want to throw in one important stipulation here, though. This is not the same as rising as an undead. 
No. Yes. The whole idea of resurrection is that the resurrected party is fully and completely alive again. Yeah. Um, yep. At least as good as they were before they died. And also the same person or possibly in some versions, a better, like healthier or wiser version of themselves, but not somebody else, not a rotting corpse, not a zombie. That's not resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not reincarnation either. Right. That exactly. should be noted. Yeah. That's a whole other can of worms. <laughs> Yeah, yes. exactly. We're, we're talking specifically about this revivification. There are, by the way, some games where uh, there's a very cool one. Phoenix Command, I think it's called. Uh, it's kind of a card-based role-playing game where death is expected and you get stronger every time you die, but you only can come back seven times. Ooh, that sounds cool. Interesting. It's a cool one. It's a Keith Baker game. I think it's Phoenix Dawn Command from Together Games. I'll look it up. It, it's, it sounds really cool. I heard a one-shot actual play that sounded amazing. And so you sort of spend your death to get stronger, to fight very serious threats, but you only have so many. It's a pretty cool game. So mm-hmm. that, that is a, a way people have explored that in at least one role-playing game. Every time I hear about something else that Keith Baker has designed, I just am more and more convinced of what a tragedy it was that he did some other job for so long. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there is that. So we, I do kind of want to compare this with Christian belief in the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Again, we're talking about body sort of coming back just as it is. Yeah. But Christians, as we said, believe in a resurrection that is more than that. It's it's the resurrection into a better heavenly body. But when we say heavenly, we are not here talking about some sort of existence on some ethereal heavenly plane. What we are promised in scripture is the resurrection of the body on earth in the new Jerusalem, the heaven that has sort of come to earth, creation being redeemed and restored and reclaimed. Uh, It's not abandoning earth for some existence somewhere else. I'm just Uh, going to say that my beliefs on this are different and I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. Continue. Well, here I'm here I'm going by the creed, the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, and again, Presbyterian tradition. Yeah, I'm going by my own beliefs regarding what heaven actually is, which are different and might get me kicked out of some churches. I'd be glad to discuss it off the podcast. But Fair I'm just going to say that, that my beliefs are slightly different here. Well, so. and it is worth pointing out that trying to understand the end of time, so on and so forth... This eschatology is a complicated thing, especially since most eschatology is derived from things like Revelations, which is the most metaphorical mm-hmm. and difficult to understand book in Scripture. So, yeah. yeah, it is the double black diamond slope of Scripture. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it's difficult to separate the discussion of resurrection aside from, you know, the resurrection of Christ. It's difficult to separate that discussion from eschatology. Right. Yeah. A discussion of, of the end times and so on and so forth. So also three different Christians from three different denominations occasionally disagree on something. <gasps> yeah, <Sure. I> know. <laughs> <It's weird>. yeah. <laughs> That's never happened in history. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the Apostles Creed, for example, does mm-hmm. uh, say and I'm just using this as an example and talking point in this case. It's I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. 
and then ends with, I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. I mean, and those last two points are the ones that I wanted to to touch on specifically. And I don't know a single creed that does not specifically reference the resurrection in some right. in some regard the nicene does it in fancier words and the iona creed does it in more plain speak mm-hmm. so sure yeah. and i can't think of a single confession that the presbyterian church has paid attention to that doesn't doesn't mention it either yeah so yeah yeah that's something you won't get any argument from uh me the methodist on either exactly I mean, wait question we, what do you mean by confession but question what do you mean by confession <laughs> by confession yeah Ah, okay. Are we getting into the Book of Confessions here? This is a whole separate. Okay, just just set me off on the Book of Confessions. I can look that up later. But uh, okay, I'm book not familiar with that at all. You, you can look it up. But uh, the Book of Confessions is um a collection of confessions and important documents for the Presbyterian Church. A confession here. It, it's a open affirmation, declaration of faith, oh. uh, taking a stand for things that okay. you believe to be true. So Okay, that's so that sounds basically like Anglican baptism. There's a specific part of it that is the confession of faith. Okay, I gotcha now. Gotcha. Kind of, but also in the reformed tradition, confessions they have sort of a an interesting level of authority. Here we're talking we're talking about like long documents rather than like a confession where you stand up and just say a thing. That is also a okay. form of confession. Okay. But there's a long tradition of confessions. Really the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, these can be considered confessions. But the Scots Confession, (laughs) you know, from 1560 is one of the ones that we draw from all the way up to a brief statement of faith from, I think, the the late 90s. Okay. And these are just documents that are explanations of what we believe, right? So the Scots Confession starts with, you know, chapter one, God. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Right. So we're going that basic, are we? All right. Yeah, like... That's what we're talking about when we're talking about confessions. Okay, okay. Just just making sure, because for for, for Anglicans, it has a, a different connotation. Just making sure. Well, and the thing is, you, these sorts of confessions are bigger versions of the same thing. Okay. <laughs> now that we've had a, a lengthy discussion about the different ways that different denominations describe the same word. <laughs> yeah, let's let's go and talk about something else. We start a whole new podcast on that and have <laughs> thousands of episodes. <laughs> we probably could, yeah. We could have a whole separate uh, conversation about the use of the word catholic and how it confuses oh, people yeah oh yeah quick aside literally for I, I this is a thing that i have had to account for and expect to account for at my wedding i think like if we do a, a church wedding i am probably going to have to print in the programs in this case catholic means the whole of the church rather than the roman catholic church because if we were going to go roman catholic we'd say roman catholic yes our church does a a presbyterian 101 course for people who are interested in joining the presbyterian church or have recently joined and aren't quite sure what presbyterian actually means like Mm -hmm. what is a confession for example and it's kind of a a cool little three session course it's it's neat and we, we kind of went over it and talked about this two different people were like Oh, I've been skipping the word Catholic. I didn't know that's what it meant. I'll I'll start saying that again. <laughs> okay. So, you know, yeah. it, I, it happens. I had a friend who who started coming to church with me, uh, who whose first language was not English, and she grew up in a, a an evangelical church and got really nervous when the Apostles' Creed came to Catholic church. She was like, "I'm not in a Catholic church, am I?" I'm like, "No, no. Catholic means this." She's like, "Oh, thank goodness." Okay. We can move on. <laughs> yep. 
And there's actually another piece of the Apostles' Creed that we're going to talk about later that is relevant to our actual topic of resurrection and resurrection magic. Yes, sorry. <laughs> As we we'll resurrect the that. conversation <laughs> here. <laughs> oh, that one hurt. Bring All it right. back to life. <laughs> that, that pun hurt. Anyway. But I do want to talk about how we can use this resurrection idea as a story element or a dramatic element in our games. I think the first place to start is maybe limitations of whatever is bringing someone back to life. Because there are a lot of these, and I think those limitations are where you can add a lot of flavor and detail and complexity and plot in some cases. Mm -hmm. Right. How much does it cost? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How many monies do you need? Does the upper class (laughs) commonly avail itself of resurrection magic? Uh, This this comes up in Altered Carbon a lot. Sure. As in, the upper class can afford clones of themselves to put their souls in level of resurrection. Whereas the lower class, like, do you get the body that fits your age or gender? Probably not. Um... (laughs) Are there GoFundMe accounts or, or charities to pay for this or scams even to pay for resurrections that are a little shady? Yeah. Is there a cloning business? And if so, what does it look like? What materials do you need? I know that in D&D, I think you need a diamond. You need like a crushed diamond or something like that. 5,000 GP diamond? Yeah. yeah. Or in some, it's like a certain amount per level of the person being brought back. It's going to cost you money, and it's going to cost you money in the form of this gem. Mm -hmm. And depending on how the game is run, either it's, yeah, you find somebody who can sell that to you, or, oh, you need to find a gem worth that much. Good luck. Maybe you should go rob this noble in order to bring your friend back, Mm -hmm. because that's not complicated. No, uh, it's a thousand and five E, by the way. I happen to have oh, okay. my PHB oh, okay. within easy reach. So I, I think it may depend on which resurrection spell, but it is yeah. two thousand or twenty five thousand GP for true resurrection. Yeah. See, there Ooh. we go. Yeah. And that's another thing. The quality of the resurrection magic may vary depending on what you can afford. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Revivify only is 300 di- uh, GP of diamonds. What a cloning business or resurrection business looks like is a weird concept like are people selling extra lives out the front door or the back door of a temple that's weird oh yeah is there a cloning business what does the marketing material for that look like well and the cloning (laughs) thing is is that the same person well yeah yeah, i mean we're we don't even have time to get into the metaphysics of cloning okay (laughs) or the star trek transporter or what have you if you do want to there's a really good sci-fi series that our anonymous player recommended to me a while ago that's very fun black mirror no we are legion we are bob the uh Ah, dennis e taylor book series the other thing that you may want to get into or one of the other things you may want to get into is is the subject of this resurrection technology or magic willing to come back to life and if not, what does that mean? Yeah. Are they coming back just so someone else can stick a sword in them again? Maybe they don't want to come back. Is the afterlife really super nice and cushy and they're just happy where they are? Or do they get to the afterlife and, you know, find out that it's important that they stay there? Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they really want to leave. Yeah. Yeah. That's also possible. Certainly, uh, there are plenty of genre plots that start with, I've brought my evil master back to life. 
and he's freed from hell, yeah. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the job of the heroes is to fix that problem. Or even, you know, on the other side of it, I've died. I've gone to heaven. I'm looking back at the situation that I left behind and I don't want to stay here because it's going to get real crowded up here real fast if I don't get back there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Does the person in question have control over whether or not they come back? Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I have used this as an excuse in a D&D game to escape the D&D game forever. The the terrible game <laughs> yes, that I was in. I believe the words you used were, I'm free. free. <laughs> yes, free at last. And then I fled into the kitchen and made myself a drink. It was a stiff one. I needed it. <laughs> is whatever is resurrecting the person willing to bring them back? You know, if the per- only person who can bring them back is somebody who hated that person, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going to be a lot of social roles on that one. Yeah. To what degree does the deity in question get involved, if there is a deity involved at all? Yeah. Does it vary from deity to deity in a polytheistic D&D style pantheon? Mm-hmm. In D&D, it certainly does. If you're you're trying to get resurrection from the Raven Queen, probably not. <laughs> yeah. She's all about not doing that. Though I know some game masters vary on this greatly, like the difference between resurrection via the Raven Queen in Critical Role versus the Adventure Zone, two very different things. Because sometimes GMs are just like, yeah, you pay your price, you get your character back, we don't have to deal with rolling up a new character and breaking up the game. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, nope, plot. (laughs) If somebody is in arrears, does the cloning company wait to bring them back? Oh. Until you can pay. That's that sounds so Shadowrun to me. I don't know why. I just got a flash of that's a Shadowrun plot right there. Oh, it's it's cyberpunk. Like I, I yeah. don't know yeah. if it's Shadowrun specifically, but it is I very mean, I very either, cyberpunk but... in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Is there a time limit? I've used this to fairly good effect. Combined with the expense one, mm-hmm. uh, I had an Ebron game. It was not a good game. <laughs> But the one moment I was really pretty proud of was when I had the, – the party was disembarking from the, the lightning rail because Eberron, getting off the train, yep, dealing with the crowd of people in a big city. And one of the people bothering them, busking essentially in the train station, was a group of former adventurers who got themselves in over their heads, had a buddy killed, and was trying to beg for money to bring their friend back before the month was out and the spell would stop working. Oh. Ugh. Ooh. Yikes. That's some dark stuff there, Grant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, you've played in my games. And in fairness, the party replied with, "Well, you guys shouldn't be so weak." So that particular line didn't really of oh. investigation and play didn't really go anywhere, oh. which disappointed <sighs> me. That's unfortunate. That's deeply well, unfortunate. In fairness, the guy was very much playing into character and we were all like 10 years younger. So Okay. You know. <laughs> I was going to say, that is, that is almost the diametrically opposed reaction that Lambert would have to that situation. <laughs> but the race to beat the deadline can add a lot of drama. Oh, yeah. Hey, that diamond you need, the only guy who sells a 25,000 uh, gold diamond that I know of, the only one who's got it is uh, Noble. He's a week and a half away. Maybe, no, more like a week and, and six days, really. So, yeah, if you went over there and came back, you'd have uh, two days to try and get the diamond from them. Yeah. Better I know that some spells in D&D, there is a time limit to how long the body can decay before the resurrection spell is useful. Yeah. Yeah, that's why the gentle repose spell exists, or yeah. at least yeah. one of the reasons. 
Yeah. No, so I, like I'm in some sure cases, it's like reason. we've got a week. In other cases, it's literally we have a thousand years. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. There could also be a time limit to actually get to a body to resurrect it before the body is used for nefarious purposes. Uh, that could be a whole plot unto itself. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence, but I'm going to steal the body of this long dead saint before it's totally ruined. Something like that. Yeah. Um, and of course, this brings up the possibility of interference. Now, D&D has a long tradition of like hallow and unhallow effects that mess with the creation of undead, make them stronger, make it impossible, uh, mess with healing spells and mess with resurrection spells. You know, that's just kind of par for the course. Oh, this area is cursed. Good stuff doesn't work. This area is hallowed. Evil stuff doesn't work. That's one way of interfering. Kind of generic, but it works in certain genres. Likewise, rescuing a trapped soul so it can return to a body is an old trope. It's a form of resurrection, requires a quest. That's kind of fun. It's an old trope, but it's very effective. It's worked for a long time for very good reasons. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the classics are good. Yeah. 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 What happens if somebody hacks your cloning machine? Or resurrecting nanites or whatever yeah. is, is being used to keep the body alive. What happens if the thing that's rebuilding your brain is writing extra things into it? That seems fun. Yeah. <laughs> what happens if the wrong soul or the wrong mind comes back in the body? There's an ethereal accident of some sort or malicious interference of some sort. Speaking of, you know, the wrong soul or wrong mind, what happens if somebody switches a body? Altered carbon. Yeah. This is altered carbon. <laughs> There's a great, and I don't feel bad about spoiling this because it's like 60 years old. There's a actually very good Doc Savage pulp novel where the conceit is that Doc Savage and his company have come up with a technique to resurrect one person from the dead. Ooh. The material involved is so rare they can only do it once. And so they put it to a public vote who should be resurrected. Hmm. And the vote ends up Solomon. Let's bring Solomon back because his wisdom would be of great help. Okay. All right. Going to be real hard to find that corpse, though. Well, yeah. they apparently, it's a pulp novel. Theoretically, somebody's got it. Except somebody pulls a switcheroo. And I don't want to ruin it further than that. Also, I don't remember all the details. But what happens if somebody says, oh, yeah, this is totally Bob. You should resurrect him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of Solomon, you get Cain. Yeah. (laughs) Well, or in this case, I believe it was an Egyptian pharaoh uh, Uh, who had a who knew where his tomb and all of his treasures were. And so the con man in question was trying to get to that. Okay. That's, yeah. that's a problem. There's also the possibility that, and this sort of ties back into the whole cost thing, but what if you've got a full metal alchemist-like universe in which the cost for resurrecting somebody is so high that you yourself may not survive it, and the destruction caused by resurrecting somebody would be so great. You really have to weigh the consequences there. The destruction of your surroundings, the person you're resurrecting, you know, mm-hmm. we've been sort of assuming it's a complete resurrection, but, you know, Full Metal Alchemist is like, we got the soul back and that's about the best we could do. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, it's, we didn't really even manage that. Yeah. FMA is like, we made things worse. Yeah. Yeah. A very high external cost, like not just the financial expense, but also how much am I willing to give up? How much am I willing to take from others, Mm -hmm. willingly or unwillingly, in order to bring one person back? And there is also the question of how do you tell that you have brought the right person back at all? 
right or that whatever is bringing them back is trustworthy. Mm-hmm. I say this as I just watched a uh, somebody play through the remastered version of Shadow of the Colossus, which oh. looks gorgeous. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's, it was already a lovely game, but it was a PS2 era game on the PS4 in high def. Oh, my goodness. Whew. That must be amazing. Oh, it is gorgeous. Every texture has been redone. The draw distance is amazing. The camera is beautiful. I'll, I'll send you the video later. I can't like link it in the show notes because there's some cursing from the actual play that I saw, but oh, it looks so good. But nice. the frame story for your running about is your reward that you are being promised is the main character's love comes back. That's why you're doing all this. It's more complicated. It's team ICO and it's never going to end well in a team ICO game, but you know. <laughs> That's kind of the the conceit. Something's promised. I can bring it back if you do this thing for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the Spider-Man Mephistopheles thing. Yeah. That's another limitation or complication at any mm-hmm. rate. Yeah. And to a certain degree, that's maybe a source of moral conflict, right? Is the price mm-hmm. high enough? Can we trust whatever's promising to bring this back? Yeah. Yeah. There could be a lot of in-party conflict on even whether resurrection itself is a morally right thing to do. Mm-hmm. I know that it's come up a couple times in games that I've played. There could also be uh, some sort of moral conflict for the party to resolve for other people, like disagreements among high up religious leaders of a of a religion, or like an altered carbon, uh, like rioting in the streets after resurrection is made legal or illegal, or if it's limited or unlimited in some way. There's there's a lot of potential for a group of interested parties to get involved. You know, it's not just interested parties. It might be that within the group of player characters, there's argument on whether or not we should bring this particular person back. Yeah. Hey, we need to bring Bob back. He's got things that we could that we need to know. Yeah. But we hate Bob. Yeah, but no, we hate Bob. He did terrible things. But he's useful, though. But he's useful, but he's awful, but he's useful, or but he's useful, but he's in a happy place. Mm-hmm. But he's been dead 10,000 years and bringing him back would be terribly confusing and, and traumatic for him. <laughs> yeah. feel free to encourage debates about major activities involving people's souls and minds yeah is the dead person who died did they oppose or support resurrection themselves and would it be morally correct or morally incorrect to bring them back regardless of their own wishes is there such a thing as a do not revive order yeah yeah like, do not resuscitate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are there some deaths that you just can't come back from? Yeah. Like if you died with no remains. Yeah. Or old age is the one for D&D a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I know that the the first character I ever had die in a D&D campaign, I asked for it, basically. I, I rolled a two on a fortitude save against a fireball. And the DM was like, oh, no, you can re-roll that. We don't want you dead. And I was like, I want me dead. And the demon was like, but no, I'm like, the fireball roasts me and turns me into ashes and my ashes are blown away and you have no remains. Don't resurrect this character, please. <laughs> was this your way of getting out of a terrible game or just you No, like this character? was me actually having a very strong stance at the time on the dice have rolled and the dice have had their say and the dice have decided I'm dead. Gotcha. And and I didn't want to fudge any rolls, so I didn't. All right. You and I have such a different point of view on that. I know, I know. <laughs> Does something claim your soul or trap your soul when that person dies? 
Yeah. Do you have yeah. to like make a deal with a demon of some kind and is it willing to give it back? Probably not. Or maybe again, D&D genre fantasy parlance. We can bring some people back, but this guy, he made a deal with the devil. His soul can't come back because it's already spoken for. Yeah. Something like that. Um, is there some kind of soul receptacle that holds the soul that has been destroyed? This is a big thing in Altered Carbon as well. Yeah. I'd apologize for bringing it up so much, but it's so relevant. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's good. There's another one that's sort of the inverse of this. Are there resurrections you can't prevent? Ooh. There's a really good uh, season one Deep Space Nine episode where a group of people crash on a ancient prison planet. Hmm. The prison, it's well defended. There's no way to get people in or out. There's like satellites in orbit that assault them and, and cause this shuttle to crash. And they're carrying somebody very important. And that person dies. And then a little bit later gets back up. Hmm. It turns out that this prison planet has nanites that get into the body of anybody who dies and bring them back to life. Oh. And they can't be stopped. But if anybody leaves the planet, those nanites don't work because they depend on fields and, and infrastructure built into the planet and the satellite system. Okay. Broadcast power or something. Yeah, huh? something technobabble. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but the idea is these people are engaged in a constant war because death has no meaning for them. And they're miserable, but they also don't trust each other enough to stop killing each other. And so this particular important person is kind of a Pope analogy <laughs> kind of thing. It's like, <laughs> well, all right, I'm trapped here anyway. I'll stay here and start mediating. I've got lifetimes to do it. Hmm. I will mediate all the conflicts. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea of, you know, you can't stop coming back might hmm. be just as awful or just as problematic. Yeah. To a certain degree, that's actually a character I'm playing in the, in our fellowship game. It's this guy who is just sort of eternally him. Imagine like Hobo Gandalf. And he's immortal in the sense that if somebody kills him, his body will magically reconstruct itself. But it doesn't make death and dying any less painful. And it doesn't make, say, coming back from being beheaded in the ocean where somebody's thrown your body any more fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's traumatic for him every time, but you can't stop it. Yeah. That's something that you can play with. There's deaths you can't come back from and there's resurrections you can't stop. Now, what are also the criminal justice implications? Yeah, I I wanted to talk about this specifically. A, that Deep Space Nine episode. Yes. A, this is a prison. Death is part of the punishment over and over. But also that, you know, we talked before about murder victims coming back as witnesses. Mm -hmm. You get to go to the electric chair three times and then you've paid for your crimes. That's unpleasant, mm -hmm. but sort of like a form of corporal punishment. Yeah. Yeah. Or in a really horrible regime, you get to go to the electric chair continuously for a century. Yeah. I mean, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. If somebody has been wrongly killed, is there a, a legal recourse to have them brought back to life? Do all murder victims get resurrected? Yeah. And perhaps if, you know, somebody has been found to be wrongly executed, are they brought back in some kind of recompense made to them? What right. happens if one of those people doesn't want to return? Then what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it, oh, well, maybe they're not innocent. That's weird. You know, or I mean, you can, yeah. do they just really not trust us and we have to make some kind of amend? Yeah. Is somebody going to pay for grandpa to come back so he can sort the will out? Yeah. <laughs> huh. What happens if somebody illegally resurrects someone? In some sort of scheme to manipulate inheritances or taxes or uh, something like that. Hmm. Certainly that would be a very fun investigative D&D &D game to run. Mm -hmm. I would enjoy that because I'm an awful person. 
<laughs> no, I think that'd be interesting too. I I it's just still cannot help but think of this in a cyberpunk kind of thing. Like that still sounds so cyberpunk to me. Oh, it, it is. It absolutely is. Yeah. Um because that that's been a feature of certain kinds of sci-fi for a very long time. Yeah. Specifically transhumanist sci-fi. Yeah. Anything involving the question of the human condition and what happens when technology reaches that point gets very interesting and, and very good. Like there's a lot of fantastic transhumanist sci-fi out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to a certain degree, a lot of transhumanist fantasy, mm-hmm. although it would never think of itself that way. Yeah. The last question, and this brings us maybe back around to the Christian perspective, what happens while characters are dead to that character? How much of it do they remember when they are brought back? Mm -hmm. And how well does that match up with what people expect them to experience, too? Yeah. There are people who have had near-death experiences, or they have been clinically dead. And this is not fantasy. We're talking about, you know, real medical deaths that people are brought back from. Mm -hmm. And their experiences are interesting because statistically, most of them either don't remember anything or experience something good, but about 10% believe they've gone to hell, Mm -hmm. which, you know, is very scary. And I certainly understand people who believe that having a very real change in their convictions. I actually know a lady who who did have a near-death experience, and she came out of it saying, I do not want this explained by science. Mm-hmm. I refuse to have this explained to me by science. And and her viewpoint on a lot of things changed overnight. Huh. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's fascinating it's stuff. Yeah. It is. Uh, what happens when it's a magical sort of thing in the fiction, somebody's soul is off in some other specific, well-defined in-game terms plane. What do they remember? What do they experience? Do they learn mm-hmm. plot relevant information? Mm-hmm. That was an order of the stick thing. I remember, uh, for example. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, there was a lot of plot development while Roy was dead. Actually, exactly. I'd forgotten that Roy died. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a while. I, I've got like five yeah. years of that to catch up on. But look back at the Apostles' Creed. There's a line that actually <laughs> confused my wife a great deal when she first heard it in a Presbyterian church because she was raised Southern Baptist and heard the Apostles' Creed like twice. And that's the line: "He descended into hell." Which is not in our Apostles' Creed, by the way, in the Anglican Church. For us, it's he des- he descended into the earth or he descended to death. Right. The United Methodist one leaves that out, or in the modern version, it's he descended to the dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, Presbyterians, or at least PCUSA, we tend to be more traditional about these sorts of things and mm-hmm. use the older form, and it's was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell the third day he rose again from the dead. What does it mean that Christ went into hell? Well, the Orthodox have some very specific feelings about uh-huh. that. Right. It's worth pointing out that the belief is not he was sent there as punishment. It was that is where until Christ's death, the dead went and Christ went there and broke the chains of death, right? Broke the bonds of death and ended that idea of death as the final end point for the soul. Mm-hmm. Yep. Broke that pattern. When somebody dies, is there a process they go through? There's certain um, traditions where there's a almost bureaucratic process for souls. Think of Greek mythology, for example, where there's a a judge at the gates who processes the soul or the uh, Egyptian Book of the Dead, the Egyptian tradition where they're weighing the dead's heart. Against a feather. Mm -hmm. And then if it's heavier than the feather, it gets eaten by an ammit. And yeah. Right. Does somebody who has been resurrected still go through that process? If somebody has died a couple of times and been resurrected a couple of times, do they start knowing the routine? 
Yeah. Can they take advantage of does, that? Does the angel at security recognize them and say, oh, hey, Bert, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> if, they, if they died and, you know, made some major changes to their life, do they go someplace different and, you know, have to deal with people who are shocked to see them there? Yeah. As stupid as it sounds in like a Dragon Ball Z movie, <laughs> at some point, uh, hell breaks down and the dead start backing up. <laughs> okay. And so the main character, Goku, who is dead at the time, has to go deal with the problem because Dragon oh, Ball. Oh, DBZ. I know. Why? Why you do this? Because Akira Toriyama has a cannot good imagination. Be stopped. He cannot be stopped. He has a fine imagination and cannot remember from one story to the next what he has done. Yep. <laughs> now, by and large, it's, it's fine. Let me just put it this way. I saw a fair bit in college and I'm now very glad that I'm working through it through DBZ Abridged oh, as yes. opposed to the actual Dragon Ball. Yeah. <laughs> Fair warning. If you look up DBZ Abridged, it's very good and very much not safe for work. Very. If you're sensitive to anything, I'd recommend avoiding it. Mm -hmm. But it's really funny. But point being, if there's this bureaucratic process, what happens if that breaks down? Well, do mm -hmm. people just not die? I mean, this was a this was a Discworld novel. Oh, yeah, that's right. Death retired. <laughs> Death quit his job and nobody could die despite their best efforts. Mm hmm. Yeah, that could become a problem quickly, too. Yeah. I haven't read that particular Discworld novel, but I've heard it's good. Neither oh, Reaper Man is stunning. Reaper Man is one of the best and most moving Discworld books, in my opinion. See, and I'm that's so saying a lot. Set, I'm so set on going through Discworld not in order. I've completely skipped over. I do need to go read and, and oh, read that. Oh, it's yeah. really good. By the way, I would say that Night Watch falls into that same category, but yeah. For me, it's the yeah. it's either The Last Continent or The Fifth Elephant for me. Fifth Elephant's really good. Anything involving the witches actually does it for me as well. Mm. Masquerade might be my favorite Discworld. Oh, yeah, that's another one. That's a really good one. <laughs> and now on the Discworld podcast. Yes. <laughs> I would do a Discworld podcast. Don't you tempt me. <laughs> we could do a bonus episode on that i mean i'd be fine with just doing a bonus episode on on uh, this world. about this world yeah i'd yeah. be down yeah yeah <laughs> especially since it sounds like we've all read different parts of it yeah. yeah incidentally that's something we haven't talked about the old idea of having to bargain with death or beat death yeah. in a game yeah does resurrection magic involve that in some way is it contacting death or some embodiment of death or whatever and forcing them to release a soul or what have you you know is if you've got that sort of thanatos character in the cosmology somewhere does it involve them does that exist at all or is it just and we're back yeah you know if somebody has been to heaven are they gonna come back are they gonna remember anything is it gonna change their life in any way yeah it probably should yeah yeah mm -hmm. something to think about you yeah. know next time you your character gets brought back Maybe have a talk about what that meant for your character instead of going, oh, yeah. ah, good. Back to dungeon crawling. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Unless this is a dungeon crawly game where it's just like, oh, I used the spell slot to bring you back, you know, like a mercy res. Yeah. I know that at least in Critical Role, it depends from character to character and from what deity resurrected the individual. So for That's instance, a fun one. yeah, for instance, um, when uh, one of the characters bargained with the Raven Queen for the life of his sister... His sister didn't remember anything, but when they appealed to, I don't remember the, the name of the deity, but basically the deity of light, when they appealed to the deity of light, the people were like, I saw my body, I saw things, I saw different kinds of stuff. So, you know, mess around with the setting a little bit, see what your setting will allow for difference in experiences between characters and between resurrection rituals and stuff like that. Mess around with stuff and then get back to us and tell us how you did it. Yeah. I, I want it. 
these are these are gaming stories I want to hear. Yeah, yeah. I, I do want to hear this because this is actually something I've never had to deal with in a role playing game. Yeah. Either we've not had characters die because we didn't want to deal with that. Or, again, the only time I've had a character die and resurrection magic has been involved at all is when the GM tried to uh, resurrect my character automatically, but just because GM Fiat, hey, I'm casting the spell, I was like, nope, he doesn't come back. Boom, gone. I'm out of here. So <laughs> I'm free. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe a, the paranoia game I played at Fear the Con 5 where you have clones. I guess maybe that's something, but that oh, was yeah. paranoia in the wackiest possible mode. So. Yeah, paranoia is a, a little wackier than I think we really wanted to get into. Yeah, there's a reason. Yeah. I didn't bring up paranoia and its inherent six pack of clones in this. We're, <laughs> yeah. we're talking about it in a more serious format. I've I've had a couple of D and D characters die, but none of them have ever come back. Yeah, they've been killed in such a thorough way or under such circumstances where that just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So anything else on this? I don't want to do the usual. Oh, I think we're done because there's a lot to talk about. Uh-huh. I think I'm good. I will say I have mentioned altered carbon a lot. It is very violent and very not safe for work and also has some problematic elements that I would love to discuss on the Discord if anybody's up for that. I would love to talk about non-spoilery things about Altered Carbon on the Discord, but this is also a really, really good show and a good book for if you want to explore exactly what resurrection and the soul mean. It is a very good piece of fiction for exploring that particular subject. Yep. And if you want a lighter format to think about that, I would strongly recommend the anime Log Horizon, which is actually a pretty good one in general. It's one of those transported to another world kind of things. It's, I would call it a better Sword Art Online, frankly. <laughs> okay. All of these players get trapped in the MMO that they've been playing, mm-hmm. but there's no big event or anything. It's just this particular update launched. We all logged into this full, you know, this full body, full experience MMO, and we can't log out. And mm. everything's starting to become more and more real. Hmm. But also all the mechanics still work because it's still a game <laughs> up to and including death and resurrection. And what happens when somebody buys the cathedral people are resurrected at because of MMO property ownership rules? Oh, boy. That wow. actually sounds like an interesting show. I may yeah, check also, that out. it's a really good romance because <laughs> it's actually like really lighthearted. Okay, good. It's not the gloom and doom and implicit rape of Sword Art Online. It's let's just go be awesome and successful and have fun because we're here. Let's make the best of it and experience it because we're good at this game. Hmm. Hmm. You could tell that like unlike a lot of these other sorts of animes where this idea has been explored, the authors actually played MMOs. Oh, yeah. Strong recommend. Okay. It's only available in Japanese, but really good. Okay. Anything else? I got nothing else. Okay. Yeah, I'm good. Let's do wrap this up here then. Actually, I do have one other thing, but it's a meta thing. Shoot. This is likely to be the first of a series of episodes that we do on the general concept of mortality. It's been something that's kind of been on our topical docket for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know that it's going to be an explicit Series, series. Because it's not tied to any specific concept in the same way of like, you know, the Ten Commandments. Yeah, there's going to be a cluster of these topics at some point over the long term, at least. Yeah. Yeah. So keep that in mind. That'll be fun. 
But I want to hear from all of you about how yes. things have worked in your games. I don't care what genre. I want to hear all about it. Mm-hmm. Discord's a good place to talk about it, but also social media, Facebook, yep. Twitter, comments on the episode page. If you go to stgcast.org, you can see all of our past episodes, our blog posts that Peter writes, or our weekend reading posts, which is stuff that we have read that we think is really cool and should share with all of you, news or articles or analyses online, that sort of thing. And it's not always articles sometimes. I'm like, here's a cool podcast. Enjoy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I, I once did like, hey, here's Project Gutenberg, if you're not aware of it. <laughs> yeah, I think I did that too at one point. Read because, all the things. <laughs> uh, we don't always check each other's notes. Sorry yeah. about that. Uh, always. <laughs> yeah, but do check those. That's, that's fun. If you like this episode, share us around on social media. And I think that's where we're going to wrap this episode up. Thank you again for all of your time and patience. Thank you to our Patreon supporters who continue to make the show possible and suggested this topic. Obviously, I think we got a lot out of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We didn't stay super on topic in the middle, but we did get a lot of material out of it. So (laughs) we're sorry. (laughs) And for all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See See you later, folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.